Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage. In the next two programmes, I join someone I'm a big fan of, social worker Fermi Wong. Fermi is the founder of NGO Unison, an ardent fighter of racism and discrimination and the outspoken supporter of South Asian communities in Hong Kong. Until the age of 11, she lived with her mother and siblings in Fujian province before they came to join their father in Hong Kong, starting off in a rooftop shack before moving into a squatter hut. They were tough beginnings. She attended afternoon primary school for new arrivals and these experiences drove her desire later to become a social worker. In this week's programme, we talk about Fermi's childhood. I was born in Fujian province, the city we call Quanzhou. By the sea, I think it's about one hour apart from the town centre and then my family were farmers. They owned land or...? No, my family was the only one that has a family member in overseas, I mean Hong Kong. And then uh, because of that, we don't have to really do the farming work. And we did not own the land because at the time was, you know, communist. So it's, you know, we just share everything. And then we need to buy our food. And my father was in Hong Kong when I was three years old. So uh, only my mother has to look after five children, um, including me. And then my mother just as a housewife. And then we just, you know, every month, my father will send about 50 dollars, Hong Kong dollars to, to us. And then we spend 30 to buy the food and then another 20 just, you know, for all those other things. And then we are the only one that we live in a small two levels a house because all the people, they live in a single floral. And then I was in a way quite outstanding that, you know, people will look, okay, this family is rather special that because they don't work, <laughs> they are not farming. And then they have, we, we call it, you know, foreign currency. We call it a token that in China at that time that you cannot buy some items that by cash. You only have those we call foreign currents that, you know, you have to prove that you have a family members that is from Hong Kong. And then you have some we call it a cash token. And then we have some designated stores, for example, to buy some clothes or some uh, special items. When I was a child, because in China, especially in village, that a child usually don't go to kindergartens, especially in that time. And then, you know, for the primary one, that when you arrive eight years old. So I have very, very happy time, long happy time that no school, no stress, no homework. And then I just, you know, I want wandering around everywhere. And sometimes I even went to different village that and then I get myself lost. <laughs> so you're one, you're one of five children. Are you the oldest, the youngest? I'm in the middle. And boys and girls? Uh, I have uh, two elder sisters and then one younger sister and one younger brother. And I'm in the middle. And what did your father do in Hong Kong? My father was a plastic factory worker. And because my father was not really well educated. Plastic? Yeah, plastic, yeah, plastic factory that, you know, you to do the molting and then, yeah. And, and even what, to make toys or yeah, yeah, something like that. And my father also said that, you know, sometimes he also worked as uh, washing a jeans or washing some clothes that, you know, all are the labor work and was quite long working hours. And also, of course, at that time, it didn't know much labor rights protection. And when I came to Hong Kong, I realized my, father really had a very tough life in Hong Kong in the early years. How old are you? Now I'm 47 years old. I came to Hong Kong when I was uh, 11. That means it's a very old new arrivals, right? <laughs> From mainland China. 
Yeah. So you're born in 1970. Yes. And uh, so you came here in, oh wow, 1981 you came to Hong Kong. Yeah. So um, with your parents, had they both met in in the same village or? No. You know, in, in 70s, early 70s, still, you know, the Cultural Revolution still on progress. And so the whole country was very tense still very tense people you know still suffer and then because my grandfather was the only university graduate and he worked as a journalist for the KMT government and after that he worked as a school principal and then a college teacher but of course he suffered after that and because of the community party they took up the power and then they look your background and then my mother's family suffered a lot. So therefore, my grandmother had decided that all of her children were not married to scholars or anyone who is well-educated. But in fact, at the time, my, I heard from my mother. My mother was falling in love with her teacher. They loved each other. But my grandmother just so afraid of another political movement that, you know, my mother would suffer as her father. So my grandmother arranged a marriage for my mother. That is my father who is around, you know, a two mountains, they call it, <laughs> two mountains away from the village. So, you know, in fact, you know, they did not know each other. It's arranged marriage. And when, when my mother was 19 years old, and then she was forced to marry with my father. My father was uh, 24 years old. And then uh, after the marriage, my mother realized that my father was in China. We say is not that smart. But in Hong Kong, we know there is a mild way of uh, mentally handicapped. So that's why because of the uh, genetical reason that we have five siblings. And uh, among five, we have three. My eldest sister and my younger sister and my younger brother who also uh, had mentally mild way of mentally challenged. Mentally challenged in, in what kind of way? In mild grade, that means, you know, they do not receive very high education and then they can, you know, barely can take up, you know, those we call is um, non-skilled jobs, like, for example, cleaning or some uh, assistant uh, work. And, of course, when we were small, uh, my second elder sister and I, we two are the only two able persons at home. So we have to, you know, look after of them. And for example, you know, finding jobs for them. Or my brother was studying in a special schools. And then I, I need to pick him up. And uh, all, you know, those, you know, um, when any other training, everything for them. And that was really uh, tough in the early 80s. And also we don't have any relatives or friends in Hong Kong. So your father was here ahead. Mm. Um, so in communist China, so how did he get into Hong Kong? How did that happen? Had he come here as a refugee? Oh, no, no, no. Because in early 40s, my father's father, my grandfather was forced as a cheap labor to Philippines. That, you know, because it's uh, so poor, right, at the time. And then just after the so World War II. So to the Philippines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, after the World War II, and then uh, all China and everywhere was very poor. And my grandfather joined his brother's fellows and also, you know, other uh, village brothers. And then all together, they went to Philippines to earn a living. 
And then after 10 years, uh, that my grandmother want to join him. But at that time, when you go to Philippines, and, and then you need to transit in Hong Kong. And then when my grandmother arrived Hong Kong to transit, awaiting another flight to Philippines, and someone told her that, okay, look, I need to tell you something. Your husband already has a family in Philippines. Because my grandfather married to a Filipino lady in Philippines. Otherwise, he could not survive at that time. So someone, maybe their friends, informed my grandmother and then to ask whether she would accept it or not. And then my grandmother was so angry and so disappointed. And then she decided not to join my grandfather in Philippines and then decided to stay in Hong Kong. And at that time, it was lawful. That either you want to stay in Hong Kong or go back to China or go to Philippines. It was really up to her. And then she decided to stay in Hong Kong. And after a few years, and then my father joined my grandmother. And that's why we came to Hong Kong. Wow. Okay. That's quite a, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? In the early years, why people go to certain countries often forced by economic reasons. Yes, I was so lucky that, you know, <laughs> my grandmother, I was so happy that my grandmother decided to stay in Hong Kong. Otherwise, I may, you know, either stay in China or in Philippines. And then I love Hong Kong. So I was so thankful to God that, you know, we, well, my family were able to stay in Hong Kong. And because in China, um, even though I was really young, but I still, you know, um, felt the tense and also some political pressure. I tell you some stories of my childhood. My mother was a Christian, which was really unusual, right? Was a, a, a Christian. And one day, my, my mother took me, you know, to a fellowship when I was around five years old or something. And then people just, you know, singing hymns and reading the Bibles. But after a while, suddenly someone knocked at the door and said, okay, the Gong An, just like police is coming to check up. And it just within one minute, all people hide up the Bible, the hymns, and then they just pretend, you know, to talk or some is cooking, someone was cooking. I was so curious, why, why is that happen? And maybe we are doing something very secret or wrong, right? And then, of course, you know, after when I grow up and I, when I arrived in Hong Kong, I know that is religion, is it? The freedom of belief. Another was because in China, Mao Zedong, Chairman Mao, everybody was worshipping, worshipping him. I could not tell whether Chairman Mao is a human being or is a god. And then I, because they keep imagining how uh, is the life of Chairman Mao, and then I keep asking my mother that, for example, when I eating potato, I will ask my mother whether Chairman Mao we eat potato. My mother will answer my silly questions. And, but one day I keep asking the whole morning that, will, for example, whether Chairman Mao will go to the toilet, Chairman Mao will just eat like us. My mother was so annoying. Said no, he eat poo. Wow! And then I was so shocked. I said, okay, poo, but who's poo? Because you know. I was, you know, just, you know, burst into excitement because I just hold a secret of Chairman Mao. My mother said, okay, that is Joe and I, Premier Joe. I burst into excitement and then I just, you know, run out my home to tell all the people in the village that I just find out a big secret of Chairman Mao. And then people ask me what? I said, I know what he eat. And then they asked what? I said, poo. And then do you know who's poo? It's Chow Zhong Everybody laugh, of course, right? I, I find myself so powerful myself that wow, I know the most big secret, but I never doubt whether, you know, how my mother knows about it. Okay, but next day, 
that a group of government officials, you know, came to my home and asked my my mom to well and better discipline me that you know cannot just you know say or I you know those they call nonsense. Okay, and then of course when I go up, I realize it's the freedom of speech. Because you know, when I in Hong, I was in Hong Kong, arrived Hong Kong for a few years. I was um secondary students. One day, my family was rather poor, and then we don't uh, buy newspapers every day. And then one day, I found Ming Pao newspaper, and there was a small column says, "Chairman Mao is a big evil." Wow. I was so so. How can someone criticize that Chairman Mao as a big evil, even devil? And then I asked some people, and people just laugh at me. Yes, in Hong Kong, just you know, whatever you want to say. And then I realized that it's a freedom of speech. Yeah, it must be quite incredible coming as a child, yeah. as you say, from Fujian Province, where you know you've got government inspectors coming round, get your child under control in what she says. Yeah. And then to come to Hong Kong when you were eleven and you came to Hong Kong, can you remember? How you came? I mean, did you yeah, just yeah, yeah. come by train? Or? Yeah, we went to Changzhou City to stay overnight, and then we take a very early coach, and then uh, it spent around twenty hours, and then in the middle we just have some rest, you know, go to toilet. But my memory, you know, was really really bad experience because we keep vomiting because we were not used to traveling. And then very dirty everywhere. It was really, really dirty. You know the toilet, and also we spent one night at Guangzhou. Was really dirty, full of people, and then we were so hungry because we did not have enough money. And also my mother was afraid that maybe she need to keep the small money that prepare for the worst. And then you know we were so tired, so sleepy, so hungry, and everywhere was dirty. I just remember. And then we just also take another coach, and then arrive Lawu, then follow people to get through the custom. And because we were so young, my mother has to look after four of us: my elder sister, my second elder sister, myself, and my brother. And then we left my younger sister at in China. When we arrive Lawu, it was around 9 p.m. at night, and then we wait for my father. To pick us up until eleven, and then we did not see each other. We were so nervous and also so、uh, scared. I was also going to say, how often did you see your father? My father is only once per two years. So my father was in Hong Kong、uh, around seven years, and then after that we joined it. So I only saw my father two to three times, and then you know we did not meet my father maybe because at that time no telephone, and then my mother just took a text. And then went to the address that my father write to us before, and then when we arrive, simple call, simple call near Wang Dai Xin area, and it was midnight. And then my father came. It was really a scary night, and also very nervous, very stressed. Okay. And then at that time, because my father and my grandmother was living in a divided house in the rooftop. Just like nowadays, I was so surprised. How can we sleep? Because it's only one room. And then they have the bed is two levels. My grandmother sleep at the lower level, and then my father sleep at the upper level. And then now we have five more people at the first night. And then we we try to manage how can we sleep all together in a very small room. Because what would you have been living? You'd had a two story yeah, house. Yeah. yeah, two stories, and also you know to to be seen as rich people <laughs> in the village. And also big house, and also because in village that you know is so special, 
right? So a lot of room, and then you can run. But in Hong Kong, I was so certain, and also because in that building is an old building, and then uh, I think it's a seventh floor or eighth floor, and then we use the uh, staircase and then go up, and then it's a rooftop, and then if, I think it's illegal <laughs> structure. I I believe nowadays. Inside is only one room, and then we share with two other families. But after two weeks, we were forced to move out because it's a two big family. And then we tried to borrow some money from my grandmother, and then bought a wooden house at Diamond Hill. That's quite a start to Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, were you? I mean, you were eleven. What would your first language have been, Mandarin? No, Fujianese. So I, because you know, in uh, in China, I only received two to three years education, and I just start learning Mandarin. My mother tongue is Fujianese, and of course, no idea about uh, Cantonese, which I heard is so difficult to understand. And also, also I never touch or learn any a single word of English, even A B C D. Yeah, so it's all totally new for us. So you start off. In this subdivided illegal structure on a rooftop at Sampo Kong, <laughs> you then move into probably equally illegal wooden structure yeah. on Diamond Hill. Yeah, now, yeah. when I uh, I came to Hong Kong in 1993, mm. and I remember in I'm not quite sure when the actual finally that Diamond Hill structures came down, yeah. uh, but I I do remember I do remember them and. Or what I call the spaghetti of electrics, yeah. the wires. I think when that year ninety early nineties is already you know all uh, uh, swept down. Also, is I think you already you know sold the land, and then nowadays is the Hollywood Plaza near Sampo Gong. We live in that side. A lot of new arrivals, including Hainan, Chujiao, and Fujianese, and. I have very good time at here because we just go out and play games, hide and sit because it's a very large area. And then I always go home and then people could not find me <laughs> because the hide and sit areas, including Wong Dai Xin, Choi Hong and Bai Man Hill, eight districts. And, and also, of course, I experienced three times of, you know, a fire that, you know, easy to catch the fire. And also I heard that, you know, some people want to go to government house, you know, quicker. Faster, and then some people. Oh, so public housing. So you think people actually intentionally yeah, yeah, yeah. burnt their homes? Yeah, yeah, burnt their homes. That's well, very dangerous for everybody else. But of course, I did not scare because I feel it was really exciting and also very fun. Because in the midnight, <laughs> yeah, in the midnight, of course, all the parents they so worried. But I was so, you know. So happy to see, and then all the firemen, all the fire, and then you know, because I saw my my mother, just because my mother is Christian, it just keep praying that okay, don't burn my home, and end up after three times fire, all of my neighborhood all burnt, just only my home left in the middle. Yeah. But I was so unhappy because I want to move you know, to other some other place. But of course, I could not understand you know how difficult that uh, we could not go to government house. In fact, because not enough, um, not yet at the public house. We can only go to the temporary housing area in Kowloon Bay. As an eleven-year-old, you <laughs> arrive in Hong Kong mm. in 1981. So you're there with your four siblings and your parents now living in a squatter hut in Diamond Hill. So how many years did you stay there? I stay, I think, for four years in Diamond Hill. And where were you going to school? I went to a government primary school. Afternoon session is ah. uh, is all new arrivals because for the I would say I view Hong Kong people they don't go to afternoon session. They say is it. Very poor quality is all for the new arrivals and also over aged. I mean, I myself also two years older 
than normal age. What was the school called? Uh, it's called Kaitakunap, uh, Kaitak Government School. My time there, okay, my academic ability was not so bad, quite good, especially in mathematics and Chinese. But at that time, I really experienced, you know, the discrimination uh, against new arrivals that uh, teachers somehow they will express their hostile to so many new arrivals because in my classroom, I think more than 90% are from mainland China. So what would be said? For example, they, sometimes, you know, they're teaching social study. They will say, okay, I don't know why you guys want to come to Hong Kong to compete at the rice bowl. So you think Hong Kong uh, is uh, very good or, you know, is um, all the ground floor is because it's made by gold, and which I really believe in China. So and then I said, yes, I believe they all, you know, the floor of Hong Kong was made by gold and people no need to work and they just pick up the gold and my teacher was so angry that you know how you so stupid and other was now i feel was really regrettable that when primary six that because we all of our parents they were very busy in work in factories in simple call and then we had to manage ourselves whether we want to go to work after primary six or go to secondary school and then at the time, I heard that a child can only work until he or she is 15. And I was 14. And then my teacher asked me, go to work, don't go to secondary school. I said, why? But I want to study. But my teacher said that, you know, but you don't you know that in Hong Kong, no schools who are welcome new arrivals. And then I asked, then where are the new arrivals? And then she said that, oh, they go to work. I said, how about if someone, they don't go to work, where are they? And then at that time, we were filling up our school choices for the primary one. And then I was in the top five, and then I did not have any idea about Hong Kong secondary school. I just copied. And how old are you at this point? At the time, I was uh, 14 years old. It was only around three years, right, in Hong Kong. So I, I just copied her school choices, and then we guaranteed that I can get go to the school. And two schools are banned, two banned one uh, in my list. And then my teacher just, you know, uh, tore out in front of the class. Said that, how you, you know, you have a big dream that you want to go to Benman School? I tell you that in Hong Kong, no Benman School welcome new arrivals. And then all of uh, my uh, classmates, in fact, you know, for new arrivals, you know, quite a number of people, you know, went to factory to work, which they all regret when they, you know, grow up. They all regret. They said they have, they should not have to listen to the teacher. And then I insist I want to study. So I find my, you know, my own secondary school and then Delia Memorial School, that which, you know, the schools I'm working with very closely. Yeah. So I find my own school to continue my study. Yeah. I went to Quintong uh, Delia Memorial School. Uh, but Delia was, you know, is a uh, private that, you know, they only uh, have a free education from form one to form three. And at the time, my mom told me that if you cannot go to a government subsidized school, you, you then you go, you need to go to work. And my second sister, because she go out to work after primary six. So she told me that she keep telling me that don't go to work because it's really tough and then so boring. But it was quite a fight for you to carry on your education. Yes, yeah, yes, indeed. My father cannot keep uh, his job so long, and then fired has been. I'm not have been fired quite frequently, and my mom need to take up two jobs, all in factory. So from morning to midnight, 
very difficult, very tough life. And then all of us were in the schools. And then only my second sister, that after uh, two years uh, primary uh, education, and then she needs to work. So in the early 1980s, your three siblings who were mentally challenged, um, they were able to have special schools in Hong Kong? Yeah, my brother. My younger brother uh, went to a special school, but my elder sister, who was 15 years old when we arrived Hong Kong, and then she worked at a factory the second day of our arrival. Since then, so um, and because at the time the salary was so low, and we need to pay back the money to my grandmother because we borrowing her money to buy the wooden house. So my mother, of course, expect me go to you know to work as soon as possible, but my Sister Tracy, who is really, really loving, said, you know, just, you know, support me all the way. And then when I was form free, and then I know that if in, I continue my study in Delhi, I need to pay the tuition free. So I also, I managed myself go to a government at school from, uh, from four, from five. And then I did not do very good in HKC. I only managed, you know, to got, um, 14 points. <laughs> Nowadays, you, you will be able to go to Form 6, but at that time, no. I make up my mind, I want to be a social worker. So I work in an NGO, as we call welfare worker. It's a non-trained staff that, you know, to provide social service. And then after a few years, I went to City University to study social work. So your first NGO was called? Uh, the first one is... Uh, Federation of uh, Youth Group, a centre at Chai Hong, now it's no more, so to uh, serve the youth, the youngsters, yeah. And these were Chinese or new arrivals? or uh, Those the Hong Kong people, because of Chai Hong estate is a very old uh, government house estate, and also a lot of elderly living there, and also some um, family, they, they have children that uh, find, you know, not much um, entertainment or, you know, recreational activities. And I was mainly to coach some youth, I think the age group is around uh, 11 to 15. Give them uh, some activities or guidance that, yeah, I was really enjoy, you know, my work as a social worker. I know you as Fermi Wong, yeah. but uh, what was the name that you were born with in Fujian province? Wang Weifan. Where does the name Fermi come from? Oh, <laughs> maybe I also, I name myself because I was very poor in physics. And then, you know, the first Nobel scientist in physics is a Fermi corridor. Yeah, and I want to encourage myself. So about my, I learned myself Fermi. It's a male name, right? But I, I think Fermi is quite female. Uh, female. So I learned myself to motivate myself and like, get a pass. What made you decide to become a social worker? Why, why did you say at a young age, that's what I want to do? When I was in Delhi, I always get punished. And then I need to see a social worker. And then I, you know, I... I find out that going to see social worker, in fact, it's so fun, nothing to do. I can buy something to eat and then talk and then no need to, you know, to stay at the classroom. And then... So why were you always punished? Because you were speaking up or were you yeah, naughty? talking or? too much. Right. Because it's, I really talkative. And also because I have a certain degree of ADHD. So I keep ignoring other people <laughs> and talking. So and then I get punished to go out to see a social worker. And after one semester... I suddenly one day I say, okay, what a social worker does? She say, oh, to give guidance to counsel students. Yeah, that is how I start, you know, to thinking that there's a word that you know you don't have to do anything. You only talking and then you receive salary. How fun, right? How can I have a such good job?
because I love talking, and then you just talk, and then we save salary. And then, of course, after uh, when I went to City University, of course, you know, I learned a lot of social work values and concepts that, you know, our fundamental uh, value is to defend for the social justice and human rights. My thanks to social worker Fermi Wong. In next week's Hong Kong Heritage, Fermi tells me about winning over Triad Big Brothers and how she began her work with Hong Kong's Nepalese, Pakistani and other South Asian children and her fight to bring in an anti-discrimination law. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.